0: Growing up, I um, never read a single romance novel. If you had asked me, I would have had this very cynical view of it being um, all, you know, very unfeminist and very deluding people into, you know, thinking they're a princess who needs rescue or whatever. Um, I don't think I read a single romance novel until I was well into my 20s. Um, And that was because uh, some friends had recommended a particular author to me. Um, honestly, this sounds a bit cynical to say, but the reason I first started writing it was just for money. <laughs>
1: <romance>. <laughs> I can Listen, realize. people need their orgasms. Yeah, <laughs> it's important. <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the lifelines podcast brought to you by the Brooklyn writers project. I'm Marina Aris and I'm Diane Fenner and we're your hosts. This is the podcast for book creators, book lovers, and literary ambassadors.
2: Join us each week as we explore the writing life, the art, and the business of creating great books. Today, we will be discussing passionate love.
1: And to set a clear context, the passion we're talking about is the strong love or sexual desire one person may feel towards another, or in literature, the passion one character may feel toward another. Joining us in our discussion is romance author Patty Bryant. Patty is a cafe based writer. Who publishes in multiple genres under several different pen names? Patty is also a member of the Brooklyn Writers Project, which means Diane and I happen to be very familiar with her work. And for this reason, know she is the perfect person to have our discussion with today. Patty, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: All right, so to begin our discussion, um, how long have you been writing romance, Patty?
0: Oh, um, several years now. I think uh, probably about four years now. I started off writing um, very short pieces and then gradually made my way up to doing full-length romance novels.
1: And um, typically, how long do your projects last?
0: Um, Last in terms of page number or in terms of how long it takes to write? Uh, In terms to write before you're ready to publish. It depends on how inspired and how... um, The words flow. It's taken me as long as a year to write some and as short as a month to write some.
1: A month. That's fantastic. Well, it was a
0: relatively short book, only about 30,000 words, but still.
1: And where do you get your inspiration for your stories mostly?
0: Um, I look around at what's popular with um, the audience. I think when you're writing as a career, it's important to stay up abreast with what trends are getting published right now. And so I look at what stories are um, selling well. But then I also think about, you know, how would I tell this story if I was going to do it? You know, so perhaps werewolves are very popular right now. But if I'm not particularly interested in werewolves, I might, um, you know, put my own spin on it by having my own totally different mythology for a fantasy creature. That's not what most people are doing, but is what I'm more interested in personally.
1: Oh, I like that. So you're still in essence, it sounds like you're going into the trends from a different angle is what you're doing. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I certainly don't recommend anybody necessarily slavishly follow trends or write something that you personally don't like. It's more about being aware of what's popular and finding out how you can fit into that or what you have to say about it. Um
1: and, and I know you write in different genres. what What are some of those genres?
0: Um, I've written in, as I was mentioning, paranormal romance, so things with, like, werewolves or vampires or other um, fantastical creatures. I've written in historical romance, and I've also written in uh, fantasy with romantic elements. Do you have a favorite among those? It depends on what I'm in the mood for. You know, sometimes it's fun to be able to make everything up, like, in a fantasy world. And on the other hand, sometimes it's fun to do a lot of research with um, actual history and allow the facts to kind of inspire the story as opposed to just making um, the whole world up.
1: Oh, I like that. And if you do use research, does that add a whole lot more time or do you just limit it?
0: It depends. Most of the historical time periods I've written in have been periods I'm already interested in. So I don't have to do a lot of background research. Occasionally, I'll have to stop writing to check one or two little details, but I usually have a sense of what kind of things people wore or where um, you know, how they would travel from one place to another, the most of the basic um, elements that will show up in a book. Occasionally I've gotten interested in a new period and um, wanted to write something there that required a lot of research. And then that can add a lot of time if that's the case. But most of the time in my historical stuff, I've done it with periods that I already know a lot about.
1: Great. Now talking about passion, Uh, do you feel that it is an emotion that is present in all romantic stories, or do you view it as an escalated form of romantic love, which is only appropriate for some types of
0: love stories? That's a really great question. Um, Almost always in the romance genre, almost all books are what we call first-time stories, so people who are getting together for the first time. And that inherently adds a lot of passion because... You know, the heroine maybe doesn't know if the hero returns her feelings. He doesn't know if he's ready to make a commitment. Um, So there's a lot of this tension and passion inherently. Um, But one of the things I like that I see very little in romance is what we call established relationship stories. So a couple who has gotten together before the book begins and they're already married or um, in a committed relationship of some sort who... um, don't have that same, um, passion in the sense of, you know, is he into me, is she into me? Um, so I really like that and it's not very popular, but I would like to see more people write it because I think there are still a lot of stories and a lot of potential passion to be told with people who have already moved past that first stage of their relationship. On the other hand, I do have to say that it might, uh, be harder to write. I recently read a book that had, um, an established relationship And I found it, I don't know if it was the author's fault, if it was my fault, but I just found there was no passion in the relationship. Um, The whole book through, they never had a fight. They never had a disagreement. They never, um, there was just no tension in the relationship at all. And it made it kind of boring, to be honest. That's Um,
1: interesting. So yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is we did, or I did look up some uh, examples of. Uh, historical couples that were known to be passionate and there was a hint of volatility in the really or yeah like a almost like a violent attraction right so it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that um although I agree with you, I think that it would be good to have more stories that are about established relationships, but it begs a question is it possible then to to write a realistic story that has passion in an already established relationship that's that's kind of interesting i
0: Wonder. I I think it's possible. I think um, with first-time stories, though, we kind of, as authors, we kind of already know how it's going to go. There's a certain arc that it always follows. You know, they meet, they start to feel attraction, but something separates them, and then eventually they overcome the separation and end up together. Um, But with an established relationship, you're kind of, our culture doesn't have as many very clear set patterns for stories about that. Um, in the same way we do for first-time stories. And so I think as an author, you're kind of having to figure out what you're doing a little more, find your way as you go a little more. Because I have certainly read some stories um, where an established relationship um, has a very exciting plot. You know, there's all sorts of things that can happen in an established relationship. Um, the choice to have kids, or if you do have kids, how that affects you uh, relating to one another or if one person cheats on another and how to deal with that and either, you know, heal after that or not, um, having to deal with new jobs or moving to a new place, or, I mean, there's all sorts of things that can be very tense and very passionate, um, about an established relationship, but I just feel like we, because we don't read stories about that as much, we don't know how to write stories about it as much either.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It almost feels like passion, if if it's, in, it, let's say passion, then let's say we concluded passion is a part of most love stories. It sounds to me like when we're talking about the first love that a lot of the passion is stemming from having external factors kind of getting in the way. Whereas when we're talking about people that have been in an established relationship, then we're talking about how they are engaging internally within the relationship. So that's a whole level, a whole different level. <laughs> I, I like the way that you, you look at that because it's interesting. Um, I think you should write it. I think you should definitely consider (laughs) writing some of these stories.
0: (laughs) I might, I might.
1: I mean, Um, you seem to know what's missing in them, so why not, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: Can you think of a particular story where there was an established relationship that did have a dramatic arc and did have some excitement? Oh, that's a good question. I,
0: I'm having trouble thinking of one off the top of my head. Um, But for example, a lot of long running TV shows often get the couple together, you know, in the second season or whatever, and then they continue to run for seasons and seasons after that. And so they do have to continue to make that an interesting plot. Um, hopefully not just by breaking them up and getting them back together over and over again, as some TV shows do, Um, but other ones do it much more successfully. So interestingly, this may be a case where TV shows are kind of more experienced at this type of writing than uh, books.
2: Has anybody read An American Marriage, Tayari Jones? that has got a lot of attention lately because it was on Oprah's list. And um, she was actually just in town at the... uh,
1: The Greenlight bookstore? Yeah. Yeah
2: the other day, but I haven't read it either. So I wonder if it is, and I happen to know that the plot is about an established relationship, but,
1: um, but you know what's interesting and In all that we've said so far, I still feel like when I think of passion, I think I, I would say from my perspective, it's definitely a heightened,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, expression of, of love and or hate if we get there. Yes. <laughs> um, so it' want to leave out hate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes you know it goes the other way. So
2: I think that the two are related and connected, and in fact, they're both contained in the same
1: well, the mirror effect, right? Maybe the intensity of the the beloved and maybe for whatever reason not being able to conquer that beloved, right? We don't know what the obstacles are, but the obstacles can sometimes lead to hate, I think.
2: Yeah, definitely, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's that old quote about love and hate are two sides of the same coin? Yes, I think that's what we're saying. Yeah, and certainly a lot of romance books and romance novels start off with the couple on their first meeting um, actually disliking each other. The most famous example, of course, is Pride and Prejudice, Mm -hmm. where Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth um, hate each other after their first meeting and kind of only slowly learn to look past that first impression and to have a better opinion of one another.
1: Yeah, and I think also the the passion that we're talking about, at least now, is for, it sounds like it's for couples who just are destined, right? They're going to be together. It's going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) But yet in the discomfort, they're getting some sort of a payoff, right? Yeah. So maybe for the reader, it can be very exciting because the passion can just, you know be like make you cringe right but yet you <laughs> see these two people that, that are just so taken by the relationship there that they're in that they'll just continue right so um all right well let's 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 switch over to um what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned that you said a few years now right that yeah. you've been writing what are, what are some of the toughest things about writing about human romantic love
0: <laughs> um that's a good question one of the things I feel like is kind of balancing the, I suppose you could say the the love and the hate in that you want to be able to show believably these people, these two people, um, feeling attraction to one another, feeling passion for one another, feeling comfort to one another, but you also don't want to make it too easy for them. They need to have you know some obstacles before they can reach their happy ending at the end of the book. Um, but you don't want to go too far either. If you give them a huge obstacle, then it becomes, you know, why did she ever forgive him for doing that? She should have left him and gone with somebody else. So trying to find the balance between, um, there is a reason for them to be together, but it's not too easy for them to be together. can sometimes be hard to find. I like that. So
1: you have to adhere to some very strict genre rules. It sounds like, uh,
0: yeah, but I don't think it's the fault of the genre, really. I mean, if you had a story that was about a couple meeting and went on a date, and everything was fine, and their families were fine with it, and they got along and they got together, you know, the story would only be ten pages long. And sure, so wouldn't it be very interesting, <laughs> to read? and nobody would care, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, it's interesting. Let's talk about what would be some, you know, in your view, some expressions of passion. Uh, like, ooh, I like where we're going. <laughs> expressions of passion, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, fine. We, we've talked about obstacles. That's that's one thing, and an obstacle, depending on what it is, can elicit a reaction from the characters. But what would be? A, I mean, I feel like again, I think it's a really escalated emotion. So, how do we get that from the characters? How do we push them to that level? Right? It's not just yeah. an obstacle. It's it's got to be something that's nearly on in
0: one of my favorite, um, ways of showing a couple should be together is that they understand one another without explaining, um, which maybe doesn't sound like too passionate at first. But to me, when I think about what sort of couples I really like, um, they, make a joke that the other one gets, you know, even if nobody else in the room gets it or the sort of subtle expressions of body language and what direction they're looking at, that the other one understands, you know, what they're communicating without needing it to be put into words. Or if they're in a moment of crisis, you know, there's an exciting scene where someone with a gun is there. They automatically understand how to work together and how to um, partner one another to escape from the situation or to overcome the bad guy or whatever it happens to be without really needing to go into long explanations of, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then this is what you're going to do. Um, that, that sort of unspoken inherent connection between two people that kind of just simple, you know, I get you kind of thing is for me, um, one of the most interesting and romantic things I think that can be between two people. And so it's just finding different ways of showing that depending on you know what's happening in the plot or you know in a fantasy world versus a real world, there's gonna be different ways that comes out. But down at the basis, I think that's one of the um, things I really look for in couples.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that now because let, let's draw a parallel between the fictional world and real life couples. So I'll give you two examples right now of real life couples that um, have historically been known to have a volatile, passionate relationship. <laughs> and what I find interesting based on what you just said is that you feel like they, the characters that we're talking about don't need to express or say mm-hmm. what they are. And I like what you're saying in between those two people, it's an understanding it's implicit. Um, but what I find interesting is that when you look at the real world, we know of these relationships and I'm going to use uh, two couples and I will give you a quote from each of the members of the couples. And and I think it was interesting. Let's let's delve into whether or not we can pick up on the passionate cue, right? So it's a cue. Let's start with Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Um, I think Diane had mentioned that they might have been married and divorced a few times. I'm not sure. I can't remember if that was a fact for sure. But I know for sure it was a volatile relationship.
0: I do know they just came out with a Barbie version of Frito Kahlo. For, oh, really? For, um, they came out with three sort of important <laughs> women in history. Uh, oh, really? Barbies, and she was oh, one of them. Oh, that's
2: interesting. I can't think of so cool. <laughs> more upside down than Frida Kahlo <laughs> as Barbie. All right. Oh, my God. Well, look at
1: what Diego had said about her. He said,
2: I just she, looked I well, just looked it up by the way. They were married twice.
1: Okay, great. So let's um so Diego said about her, she had an unusual dignity and self-assurance and there was a strange fire in her eyes. And based on what we know about her, she just seemed to be a fireball in general, you know, androgynous, bisexual, and passionate, I think, and devoted to him but at the same time devoted to her freedom, which she expresses in the following quote. You deserve a lover who listens when you sing, who supports you when you feel shame and respects your freedom, who flies with you and isn't afraid to fall. You deserve a lover who takes away the lies and brings you hope, coffee, and poetry. <laughs> so I think, in essence, maybe there's a hint of what you said, Patty, about people understanding each other when she talks about freedom, right? Don't, don't we all want to be loved while still maintaining our sense of autonomy, Mm-hmm. and our, our sense of being able to be who we are in the world outside of the couple. And then within, the, and I think certainly I saw the film, so mm-hmm. I don't, it was a long time ago. Um, so I only remember parts of it, but my understanding is she did give him a lot of freedom because I think he was a womanizer <laughs> and she also went ahead and took her freedom and did whatever <laughs> she did. But yet they kept coming together again, mm-hmm. which is the interesting thing, right? They just kept meeting again.
2: Well, you know what it reminds me of? Um, Cause I had the, Privilege of de- of reading the Deal with the Duke the the book that you wrote I did as well when you were when you were workshopping it before it came out actually we should stop and, and say the Deal with the Duke
1: it is available on Amazon yes I love it <laughs>
2: by Patty Bryant. thank you um, but I remember specifically that uh, you had two characters who communicated without words who were on the same page as to what to do at various times mm-hmm. and didn't in were sometimes the only people in the room who knew what was going on as they saw it going on so <laughs> actually
1: those were some of my favorite
2: scenes by the way very <laughs> steamy
1: wonderful um, moments of yes passion absolutely thank you they were they were very well done Patty um, So okay so I think that first quote kind of touches a little bit on what you had said although again in the real world if you ask a person um, outside of the relationship they're more likely to be able to articulate. What they're feeling for this other person. Um, so let's look at one more example. Elizabeth Barrett Browning and Robert Browning. Elizabeth was a respected poet in poor health. As they carried on their relationship in secret, they eventually married and they lived among writers. And when she died, she died in his arms. So one of his quotes was, um, I love your verses with all my heart, dear Miss Barrett. Fresh, strange music, the affluent language the exquisite pathos and true new brave thought. And one of her quotes, I am not of a cold nature and cannot bear to be treated coldly. When the cold water is thrown upon a hot iron, the iron hisses.
2: Um, So I. Well, the first one talks uh, uh, to that point that you made about two people who understand each other without having to compare notes. Um, But I think he adores her almost in that. Uh, quote
1: right i feel like there's a sense of adoration maybe respect yeah not so much passion but certainly maybe a devotion right and with her i think well maybe because she was a poet (laughs) she describes something hot well there you go (laughs) there you go um might be reading into it too much um
2: so i'm gonna just diverge here just because Um, and you maybe can remember I've complained about this in the past and I think it but I think other people feel this way too um there's something about romance which stops when there is still that excitement it's like the story of the prince and the princess getting together and then there's no more what happened for the next 15 years Mm -hmm. in the book and I find that a little bit um, worthy of criticism. I, I don't know if you want
1: to But there are that. series now, right? Sometimes there, there are series Maybe that I'm are wrong. written. I agree with you, but
0: sometimes when they think it's popular now to get series writing. There are right? series. Series almost always um, are not the same couple in each book, though. It usually mm-hmm. is, you know, in book one, Jane and Tom get together, and then book two, Jane's right. sister gets That's together true. with someone That's else. True. And then book three, Tom's friend gets together with someone else. Um, and so on.
2: And there's actually two reasons why I think that I'm a little unhappy about that formula. One is because I think it's sold a lot to young women as find your prince. Um, everything in your life is a derivative from, you know, what you get out of your relationship with another person. That's not a new criticism. You know, we've all heard that. Um, and then, of course, the other, the other point, as I mentioned, is that the story stops before all of the real living takes place. I mean, okay, we've now matched with our passionate other. And how about, you know, after the right passion, what happens when it's time to do the dishes? Well,
1: to Patty's credit, she's saying that we need more of that literature, right? More of that established relationship storyline.
0: Yeah, I would like to see more established relationships. Um, I hear what you're saying, though. I think there a well-done romance should indicate how the, um, even if it is a first time story, you should be able to tell from what you get um, in the book, how they will then go on to handle, you know, splitting up the rent and who takes out the garbage and all those kind of stuff from the way they've interacted in um, their first month or however long amount of time the book covers. Um, But of course we don't actually see that. And so it is easier to imagine that it's, Happier and simpler than it really is in real life, and I mean romance novels. I don't want to say there isn't an element of fantasy to them, because of course there is an element of getting away from the mundane dreariness of everyday life, and I think that's okay. Um, we that shouldn't perhaps be the only thing you ever consume in literature. Um, and it can lead to perhaps people um, getting too caught up in the romantic portrait and not real life. But I think there's also an element of, you know, it's nice to imagine sometimes that things are easier, that things are um, happier, that things are brighter than they are in real life. And I think every genre, maybe not literary fiction, but certainly, you know, superhero movies and horror movies, and um, every genre has a little bit of kind of turning up the dial and it's not just romance. Well, you know, it's interesting because I just read
1: a book on relationships and they did make a note about romance books <laughs> yes. and they said that specifically they said uh, women who read romance are typically pretty unhappy in their relationships. <laughs> but but they have the most orgasms.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: I suppose I should start reading a bit more. <laughs> I kind
0: of heard that fact. Supplement before.
1: my sex life a little here. Um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point. That's
2: fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was surprised that they put it that way. I said, well, I get that. A
2: little escapist literature. Recently. Although, yeah, I, I
0: wonder which comes first. Is that people read romance and then become unhappy with real life, or is it people who are already unhappy with what they have in their life then seek out Um, I think there
1: would be both, I would imagine. Um, That's a good question, but I I, I would assume, because we're so many readers in the world, we're going to touch both, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You should ask Patty the question you asked me when we were talking about Valentine's Day. What was the question I asked? Do you believe in, is it just escapism? Is it just having that role of um, giving you something when you need it, or do you believe You know, are you a true believer? Do you believe that romance, finding the one who's destined for you, the love that will last a lifetime, the most important thing in the world, the Mm -hmm. essence of your soul? Yeah, we
1: had quite an interesting conversation on that. And I turned out to be the hopeless romantic. (laughs) And Diane admitted to being the secret romantic. Um, And we both, although we covered as much as we could, we both um, realized, especially after my reading this week. (laughs) <laughs> that sometimes uh, love and passion and relationships and all of that stuff that we put all this mental effort into um, may actually be the result of physiology. Oh, my. Yeah, it's it's brain science. <laughs> Insane, right? Um, but brain science involves passionate feelings, too, right? All of the realms of, of emotions that we experience as humans. But what kind of What's yeah, your belief on?
2: Yeah. I don't think one dis- disproves the other. I mean, just to say that there's a scientific explanation for it doesn't mean that it's not real. It just is another term that you can use to describe this phenomenon that is real.
1: I think, yeah, I think we missed a boat on that. But I think that when we're talking about emotions, uh, human emotions, anything is possible, right? We can't, it's hard to control our emotions, I think.
0: Yeah, um, I, be, I don't believe in soulmates or destiny, but I do think that um, certainly in my own life, I prefer having a partner to not having a partner, um, to being with someone, to being alone. But I think love um, or a relationship or romance or whatever you want to call it takes work. You know, you don't, there isn't a person out there who you're magically suited to, um, but there are people who um, you have stuff in common with. And you can be with one of those people and you're going to have to adjust some of your expectations or you're going to have to adjust some of their expectations. You're going to get into fights. You're going to um, not have everything you want. But um, I think uh, overall, it's better to be with a person than not to be with a person. That love is a thing that brings happiness into my life, certainly.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think what you touched on just now might be the key to the thing that we say is missing, Mm -hmm. which is talking about the differences between people that are real and that are not going anywhere once they're in an established relationship. And that's where the passion would show up because then you have to learn how to make those compromises and give in a little, right? Yeah. Yeah, I see that. So that I think that's you're very balanced. I'm a total in the clouds romantic. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I'm trying to come back down to earth though, because I don't know. Well, it's more fun for me to be on the clouds. But <laughs> well, Patty, what cool.
2: made you start writing romance? Was there something that drew you to this? It's funny because growing up, I
0: um, never read a single romance novel. If you had asked me, I would have had this very cynical view of it being um, all you know very unfeminist and very deluding people into, you know, thinking they're a princess who needs rescue or whatever. Um, I don't think I read a single romance novel until I was well into my 20s. Um, And that was because uh, some friends had recommended a particular author to me. Um, Honestly, this sounds a bit cynical to say, but the reason I first started writing it was just for money. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, realize. people
1: need their orgasms. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, important. I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> Romance is um the biggest selling fiction market. And it is one of the easiest markets to get into as um a self-publisher if you don't want to go through the very long process of um applying to a publishing house and getting an editor and all of that. And I had always wanted to be a writer, though, so I thought I would try this. And as I learned more and more about the genre, as I not just wrote it, but I read in it more widely, I started to really enjoy the different um, things it's capable of Romance is a genre that focuses on women. Um, There is gay romance too, of course, but I write mostly uh, straight romance. So there's always at least one important female character and very often more than one. Um, And it's a genre that especially with things like historical romance, you know, when we think about history, very often women... um, get the shorter end of the stick because they usually weren't the kings. They usually weren't the generals, the sort of big moments of history. They very often were less allowed to participate in. um, And so we're able to, through romance, put them in the center instead and show what their perspective of history was like and how they did influence things or how they were influenced by the wars and the laws and these bigger issues. Um, And so that's a thing I really enjoy about romance as well.
2: So do you think that your audience is primarily female or do you think there's a certain way that romance can be written that appeals to men or how do you feel about the gender differences?
0: Um, I haven't polled my readers specifically. When they mention it themselves, it is almost always women. You know, occasionally I'll get a reader who says, I love your books. I'm a grandmother and I read them. (laughs) Your (laughs) grandmother, that's cool. And I like, you know, whatever about them. Um, Now and then I, I occasionally someone will say they're a man um, usually only by the pointing out how unusual it is, you know, they'll say, Uh um, I know it's weird that a man reads romance, but I love these books. And I know, um, although, like I said, I I haven't done a specific scientific poll. I know people who have pulled the romance genre in general, it is overwhelmingly women writers. Um, I I think it's certainly possible for men to be interested in romance though. Um, I don't think there's any reason why it wouldn't because men need I think companionship and love and affection just as much as women do. And just like there's always a female character in the books, there's always an important male character as well. Um, so I think probably the reason um, we don't see many male leaders in the romance genre is just because of our cultural stigma against it you know a lot of guys would be embarrassed to admit they read romance or embarrassed to be caught in that section of the bookstore or whatever which makes it hard for them to find out about the genre and to know what would appeal to them which specific books or specific authors would appeal to them
1: yeah it's interesting because i can think of at least i think 3 male authors who use No, two male authors I can think of that use female names, pen Mm -hmm. names, right? Because they they feel like the women won't even buy the books if they're written by a man, which is interesting. And um, I think the other thing that I wanted to say is that with you being a part of the Brooklyn Writers Project, what I've learned is I never read romance really Before, I don't think Diane did either. I
2: never touched the stuff and. (laughs) into the stuff. (laughs) It was really quite a revelation when you started workshopping some of your chapters. Yes. And I said, this is amazing.
1: (laughs) Yes. And what I want to say about that is that it was so surprising to me that my limited perspective on it and a lot of people's limited perspective on romance is that it's just some you know, cheap thrill of, a you know, what is it that you had said? One's body is ripper. Type yeah. Things, yeah, right. That's like the the, the, the tradition of you where now I've, you know, ever since I started reading your work, I've noticed, um, and also getting into publishing, I've had to understand the genres and I've noticed that what's really great is that you can, you can actually expand so many levels beyond that. And you, I'm sure you're going to tell us how many genres are there really
0: Subgenres, I should say. Oh God. I don't even know. I think, um, I think Amazon probably has about like 10, and then each of those have sub-sub-genres. Interesting. You know? So you could go into paranormal romance, for example, and then that can split into werewolves, vampires, That's angels, witches, wow. et cetera, et cetera.
2: Isn't that phenomenal? But What's I think that? what impressed me about your writing was that you were doing the, the piece that I was talking about. You were doing historical fiction, and your knowledge of India and England at Uh, whatever in the 1800s time I was reading about then was um, very, very deep. So it was very satisfying to be getting an education about the history of a place at the same time.
1: Yeah, I feel like you're writing at least, um, we've seen a few of your things, but what I liked is that the romance book specifically is that you included all of these details that are, are just very rich in a fiction work, right? You just pick it up and you'd get a very satisfying read, with the romantic element just sort of as a less simple romance and more like human, right? More character based, more about just life. We we work, we raise children, we fall in love. I mean, it's all part of being alive and being human. So, you're you're just a, a very good writer, and and we appreciate that. Um,
2: I just want to shift for a second. One thing I've noticed about romance is that you will get readers who are very attached to a particular writer who become real fans. And um, I was talking to someone whose wife would travel to go to events that were by her favorite authors and would follow them on social media in this really dedicated fangirl way. Um, And it sounds like you've got some of that, because you were talking about getting comments or or email from readers. (coughs) And why is that? I mean, I
0: think you do get some of that in every genre. Certainly. I think about the masses of people who show up whenever George RR Martin goes to do a book signing. How about Nicholas Sparks? And he's got all those film deals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, romance certainly gets some of that too. Um, I don't, I don't know why, um, some people, I have very few authors. I don't think I follow any authors on social media. I'm bad with social media though. (laughs) I, I don't do a lot of it. Most writers are. It's okay. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one or two I see sometimes. Um, but yeah, some people like to know just a lot of details about their favorite authors, personal life. Um, there's actually a really great, um, romance bookstore in somewhere in California. I I think San Francisco, maybe it's LA, um, that has a really great, um, presence on social media and they have a store dog, who you know they're constantly posting photos of. And it's even if you don't care about the books, it's kind of fun just to see That's what the cute. puppy is doing today.
2: Oh, very cool. Do you have a fan base or do you feel like every time you write a book you're just putting it out there for a new group?
0: Um, I we've been I've been working on building a fan base. Um, you know, when you start out, especially since I have switched a couple different pen names, every time you start with a new one, you are
2: rebranding. Kind of to,
0: right? Yeah. Kind of having to start over and get people to find you again. But once you've written more than one under that pen name, um, then people start to recognize you and start to say, Oh, I liked that first thing I read. I'll check out the second one as well. Do you think it's a cur-
1: uh, like a common occurrence for a reader to say to you as a writer, can you, um, write me a passionate story?
0: Can do they ever put in specific requests? <laughs> Sometimes, not very often. Um, but I, I have seen that occasionally. What happens a lot, as we were talking about with series, um, a lot of times the way romantic series, romance series works is um, people who are side characters in an early book then become the main characters in a later book. So you will see very often people write in and say, like, oh, I really thought Jane's little brother was really funny. When he grows up, you know, who oh. does he fall into love oh, with? Oh, interesting. And like, that kind of thing. See, I so see.
1: people get it, they, they sort of commit to the world that you've created. Yeah, yeah, I see. All right. Well, I have uh, one more question for you. And this is for the writers out there who would like to embark on a romance writing adventure. Um, Imagine you are at a writing conference and you're standing in front of a large group of first time romance writers. What are some of the best recommendations you can think of to offer them?
0: I would say read a lot of romance books, first of all. Um, As I was saying myself, I didn't have a long history of being a romance reader. And it was only by... being willing to really read, being really willing really to explore this genre, that I realized how many things it was possible to do in the genre, how many different kinds of stories you could tell and different kinds of characters, different kinds of worlds. In romance, I think because there is a certain stigma against it, it's very frequent that you will see people um who don't know much about the genre come in and say, Well, I'm gonna write something that's never been done before. But anyone who knows your genre could tell you that's been done a hundred times before. That's so (laughs) old hat. Um, So I think um, you should read very widely and not just in romance. I mean, that's what I have the experience in, but any genre you're interested in to see, um, to learn how to do it, to see what's possible, to see what you like and what you don't like about it. You know, things you would um, perhaps craft your own writing upon versus things you're like, no, that didn't work for me. I'm never going to do that. Um, But just to learn as much as you can about the genre.
1: Anything else? Anything about like your writing practice? um, How you go about producing the book? Anything on those?
0: Yeah, I try to write every day. Um, I know that's a practice that works for some people and doesn't work for some people. Some people feel the need to only write when they have the inspiration. But for me personally, I find trying to write every day is much more useful. I think of it as like doing exercise. You know, most days you don't really want to exercise, but if you only wait it until you felt really good, you probably would not be very healthy. Um, that you have to build up those muscles. And the more you build up uh, the writing muscle, um, the better you get at it, whether that means the more words you can write in a day or that you have right away when you start out writing, you know, a clear idea of where you want to go. So you have to do less editing later on. Um, but whatever it is, I find the more, um, practice you take writing eventually the better product you put out.
1: Excellent. Any last words on passion ladies? Anything we want to, how do we bring this home? What's our, what's our (laughs) conclusion about passionate love? (laughs) We believe in it. We believe in it. I, 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 well, I, Hey, I'm the hopeless romantic. I'm buying the entire thing. Okay. (laughs) So that, that's that.
2: Well, I'll put in the request for you to write that book about the long established couple. (laughs)
1: Yes, I think you can definitely handle it. Okay. Uh,
0: I believe in you. I'll try and come up with a plot. (laughs)
1: All right. So let's wrap this up by letting our listeners know where they can uh, find your book or your books, wherever you'd like to lead them. And we'll take it from there.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, So as we've all talked about because um, it's the book of mine that both you guys have read. Uh, the Deal with the Duke by Patty Bryant. That's B-R-Y-A-N-T and it's available on Amazon.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you again, Patty. And until we're going to move on to our next segment shortly. So hang tight. Thanks again. So Patty, go ahead and read us your stuff. Here we go.
0: Thank you. Um, so this is from A Deal with the Duke which is a historical romance. This is an excerpt from chapter three. Savitri stepped into the cool dimness of the hallway, an oasis of safety after the blaze of light and heat that had been the party. She couldn't entirely appreciate that though and had to fight to maintain her calm. She heard the Duke's footsteps behind her and knew, knew that he was looking at her. She couldn't let her chin drop, couldn't let her hands tremble. She didn't want him to know how he affected her. Facing him down in front of all those people had taken every bit of courage she possessed. He had seemed so arrogant, his bright blue eyes flat with fury, his lips flattened and his fists clenched at his sides. She'd heard the note of rage in his voice and how close he was to snapping. She'd been tempted to keep quiet and let that storm of anger blow past her, for, after all, it hadn't been aimed at her. All the Duke's focus had been on Lady Penelope. He'd barely even noticed Savitri's existence. She was nothing but a shadow besides his wealthy, high-ranking niece. But Savitri wasn't the type of woman to hide away in a crisis,
2: even if it would have been safer.
1: That's all for today. Thank you for listening. If
2: you liked today's episode, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep bringing you great content.
1: For show notes, upcoming events, and to participate in the Brooklyn Writers Project community, head on over to our website at www.brooklynwritersproject.com.
2: Questions or comments? Send them to contact at lifelinespodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Lifelines, the books podcast has been brought to you
1: by the Brooklyn Writers Project. Music for this podcast has been provided by Anthony Nuda of Noble Sense Productions.